0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Colbert Report, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Progressive, The Young Turks, Counterspin, Michael Moore, The David Pakman Show, and comedian Lee Camp, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show.
1: Another day. Protests rage on in Wisconsin against Governor Walker's heroic bill to end collective bargaining for state unions. But these protesters have already lost the public support, as the brown-haired guy who's not Steve Ducey explains. Here's the question that was posed. Were you in favor or are you uh, in disfavor of taking away collective bargaining when it comes to salaries uh, for government workers? 61% in favor of taking it away, uh, 33% oppose. Of course, the American people can be fickle, as the brown-haired guy who's not Steve Ducey knows all too well. I'm going to a, uh, correct a poll that we did about 22 minutes ago from Gallup. 61% oppose taking collective bargaining away from those people in Wisconsin, 33% in favor. I had it reverse that. I apologize. I don't know why he's apologizing. I've seen it reported both ways. The point is, the American people are confused, folks, and it's no wonder. These protesters keep throwing us off with this charade of Midwestern reasonableness. Is there a lot of anger here in Wisconsin? Yes.
2: We're very upset.
1: We're here. And we appreciate everybody
3: out here. Everybody. We can have different opinions and we can still be civil
1: about it. Um, I want to support
3: all my teachers because I like them
4: a lot.
1: Brown knows all you want, little girl. You're still going to get a B on that diorama. It was a completely unconvincing Capitol building. We cannot fall for these Trojan regular folks. That's why I'm so excited about an idea from former Tea Party Express chairman Mark Williams. Now, I say former chairman because he ruffled some feathers last year when he claimed the NAACP makes more money off race than any slave trader ever. What is the big deal? He's just praising the NAACP for their excellent business model. Because it is hard to beat slavery for bringing in the cash. Well, last Sunday, Williams called on his fellow Tea Partiers to go to the Service Employees International Union website and, quote sign up as organizers for an upcoming rally to support the union goons in Wisconsin then show up in SEIU shirts target the TV cameras and pull out signs that say things like screw the taxpayer and you owe me in order to make the gathering look as greedy and goonish as we know that it is this is brilliant folks <laughs> we know that government workers are greedy goons because we keep saying that they are But since they refuse to live up to our stereotypes, we must do it for them. And then the American people will despise us, by which I mean them. And the Tea Party Nation likes this notion. They sent an email blast recommending William's plan to their members, calling it a great idea. I'm not surprised. It is in the spirit of the original Boston Tea Party, where the revolutionaries dressed up like Indians and threw tea into the harbor to prove that Indians are terrible people who hate tea. (laughs) All right, all right, I'm ready to do this thing. Let me just put on my hat here. Shows that I'm a union goon. All right. Hey, look at me, I'm a union member. I'm from Wisconsin over here, forget about it. Hey, bada bing, bada cheddar cheese. Oh, whoop, according to my Rolex that I bought with your tax money, it's time for my mandatory union break. Now being an evil, greedy union goon, I think I'll spend it by firing up my wood chipper. And I'm gonna throw in this adorable puppy. Night-night, Bumblebean. Look for the union label. He went peacefully. (laughs) Now, now I would like to collectively bargain for another puppy because my wood chipper is still hungry. You see, this is the only way people will know what these protesters are really like. By the way, no animals were hurt in the crushing of these unions.
5: Breaking news from Madison, Wisconsin, which of course has been the center of American news for the past three weeks at least. Tonight the Republicans in Wisconsin State Senate appear to have invented a new nuclear option for passing legislation with no notice and no quorum and no debate. They invented that new nuclear option today and then they detonated it today. After Republican Governor Scott Walker admitted yesterday that he would negotiate with Democrats on his union stripping bill. After a Republican source tells NBC News that the governor said to Republicans in the legislature today that he was willing to compromise on union stripping. After public support for the governor and the union stripping measure started low and then cratered from there. After weeks and weeks of large demonstrations in Wisconsin against the governor and the Republican plan, including some very, very large demonstrations. and and the, and the Republican response to that of locking down the state capitol after all of that Republicans in Wisconsin State Senate tonight tried to pull a rabbit out of a hat The way Democrats had stopped the bill, remember, was that they left the state. They denied Republicans the quorum they would need to convene in order to pass the union-stripping bill. The Wisconsin rules are that no bill with fiscal implications can be considered without a certain number of senators present. Republicans needed at least one Democrat to show up to the Senate in order to meet that numerical threshold. Democrats fled the state so that quorum could not be reached, so the bill could not be voted on. Then tonight, with no warning, Republicans announced that they took everything budget-related out of what they were calling the budget bill, leaving only the union-stripping provisions. Republicans of course had insisted that union stripping was a fiscal issue, but tonight in order to try to pull this rabbit out of a hat, they decided it wasn't a fiscal issue anymore and that therefore they no longer needed that pesky quorum. And with no warning, they convened a conference committee, Democrats say in violation of the state's open meeting law. The last minute conference committee passed the union stripping bill. Here's what this looked like. This was absolutely nuts. Watch this.
6: I have consulted with the Legislative Council, the Legislative Reference Bureau, and the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, and have been advised that this proposal would not trigger the special quorum requirement in Article 8, Section 8 of the Wisconsin Constitution. At this time, I would move to adopt the excuse adoption me, Mr. Chairman, of the wait, me, Mr. Chairman. as the conference Mr. chairman. Report. Excuse me, I'll I have a question about, a about the open meetings I'll rule being violated. You are not given two, two hours, hours notice, first of all. Secondly, Mr. Mr. Chairman, uh, uh, there's, there's a requirement. Here. I have like a 24-hour notice here from Attorney General Van Hollen. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait. Current well, Attorney Representative Barclay, let me, let me, discussion, let me recognize you. Discussion. Go ahead. Okay, thank you very much. First of all, Mr. Chairman, most importantly, before we even get started, uh, obviously I'm going to want to have a summary of this bill from uh, from our Director Lang um, so I understand what's in here. It's, it's um, the same bill you debated for 60 hours. Oh, there's nothing different? No, they just removed items from them. They removed what? Removed items. Different. Nothing new. Oh, so, oops. So we can't get a description of what was removed there's Nothing new. Well, you, you said things were removed, Mr. Mr. Chairman. I want to know it. what's removed. You I mean, It, you it seems it. to me that the body should add you know, our committee yeah. should know what we're voting on. I don't know what was removed. I need to know that. Uh, so, I do want a description from Director Lane. Secondly, I have a couple of motions I would like to make as amendments to no this. Motions. Clearly, no um, motions conference happened. committees you no know, do have an opportunity for people to amend a bill. No, there's no um, so, I want to be able to present those. But before we even get into that, I want to say that this is a violation of the open meetings law. Uh, it is required. I got a memo here from our current Attorney General. Now, Not a past one, the current one. August of 2010, the attorney, no Wisconsin court decision. uh, will oh. allow meetings, unless you have good cause, to provide less than 24 hours notice oh. of a meeting. Okay. The provision, like all other provisions of the open meetings laws, must be construed in favor of providing the public Barca? with the fullness and most important Barca. information government Representative Barca. If any doubt. Yes. Yeah, we'll Clerk, Paul roll. No, no excuse go. me. No, listen, it I'll says, if there's I any doubt go. as to whether good cause exists, the be. governmental body should provide 24 hours notice. This is clearly a violation of the open meetings law. Now, look. You've been shutting people down. It is improper for you to move forward while this is a violation of the open meetings law. You're not allowing amendments, and that is wrong. Now, I, I, Mr. Chairman, this is a violation of law. This is not just a rule; it is the law. There must no, Mr. Chairman, this is a violation of the open meetings law. It requires twenty-four, at least two hours. No.
5: including that weird music thing at the end, that's how we all saw it. That was the Wisconsin legislative um, uh, coverage service wrapping up with that tidy little music after the Democratic assembly leader is shouting that the meeting that he is in is illegal, is a violation of the state's Open meeting law. He's saying that as they decide that they're just going to call the roll over him. And he's saying, this is illegal. This is illegal. This is illegal. And they're saying, I, I, I were adjourned. And then a nice little musical interlude. <laughs> After that bizarre scene in that hastily convened conference committee, Republicans essentially ran to the Senate and immediately convened the state Senate. Again, with no Democrats present, with no quorum. They passed the bill immediately, 18 to 1, and then they immediately adjourned. Took moments. If Republicans legally had this option of doing it this way, did they not have this option of doing it this way all along? Why didn't they use it before? It's not like Republicans were debating this thing on the merits all along. Remember, they tried to arrest the Senate Democrats. They took over the Senate Democrats' offices. They were threatening to send private security, essentially bounty hunters, after the Democrats. They they were taking the Democrats' parking places. But all along they could have just done this anytime they wanted to and they just decided to do it tonight. Where did they find this rabbit and what hat have they just pulled it out of? Democratic leadership in the legislature says the Republicans' actions tonight were as illegal as they were surprising, that the Republicans never used this option for getting their way before because this option does not legally exist. Democrats say they are contacting the state's Attorney General to try to block tonight's actions. The shouts of protesters could be heard outside that dark conference committee room tonight as the Republicans suddenly convened, suddenly voted, and suddenly adjourned. After Republicans lost the public debate on this issue, after Democrats and the anti-union stripping protesters won the public debate on this issue, after Wisconsin took to the streets and Democratic senators held out, and they won on the substance after that most important result really was nailed down and finalized. Republicans tried to find a desperate way to cram it through anyway tonight, after they lost, after they lost the argument.
7: I'm Matt Rothschild, the editor of the Progressive magazine, with my Progressive point of view, which you can also grab off our website over at Progressive.org. Scott Walker and the Republicans in the Wisconsin Senate showed their true colors on Wednesday. Those are the colors of the black shirts. They have no concern for democracy, no concern for democratic process, no concern for the expressed will of the people on a given piece of legislation. The only thing that concerns them is power and ramming through whatever right-wing laws they can pass while they have the power. They and their corporate paymasters realize that they're losing the debate in the court of public opinion, losing support even among their own ranks, so they slammed this sucker through before things deteriorated further for them. They did so by apparently violating the open meetings law of the state, but that didn't slow them down. They were in haste to crush collective bargaining rights for more than 100,000 Wisconsin workers and know this had nothing to do with the so-called budget crisis, since the unions already had agreed to the severe cuts that Walker initially proposed the whole thing about the budget was a ruse. And at the end of the day, Walker and the Republicans dispensed with the ruse and shoved it to us. These are the tactics of dictators, of juntas, of authoritarians everywhere. No dialogue, no compromise, no listening to the people, just naked power in all its ugliness.
8: She says if I- smiling like our sleeping children, one of us will die inside these arms,
9: eyes wide open, naked as we came, one
8: will spread.
10: in wisconsin uh... we've had a lot of people uh... who of course are protesting and are leading the protests uh... and then some people on the national level like our president and others uh... have not really spoken out much about it uh, but the guy who probably made the best case is a high school student by the name of jacob Fixel. he was on with Greta van sustrin on fox news let's listen to him
11: great to have you here so tell me um, you organize a protest tell me what you don't like about this bill
12: um, well, Wisconsin is a state that values education, and if this bill passes and the teachers lose their right to uh, bargain, to have collective bargaining for their, um, for their salaries, for their wages, for their vacations, for everything, for their contracts, um, I'm afraid that Wisconsin isn't going to be able to attract and retain the best educators that we can, and I feel like the state of public education in Wisconsin is going to go downhill if this bill passes.
11: Do you have any, I mean, there's a horrible economic problem, not just in your state but across the country. Um, In terms of your state, do you have some suggestions how to deal with your budget crisis?
12: Um, Yes, I do. I think we should um, really consider raising taxes on the rich. I know um, the argument against taxes is that it's going to hurt small businesses, but with this plan, if you're taking spending money away from teachers and public workers, um, small businesses are going to lose millions of dollars, but if we can raise taxes on the rich who can afford it and we can start to pay for our budget problems, um, earlier in um, Governor Walker, he's already cut uh, $100 million of tax corporate taxes, and that's one of the reasons why we're in this mess.
10: Jacob, for the win on Fox News Channel. Nicely done, man. Look, making that case, you know why I love that? It's because so many Democrats go on air and they talk about, oh, which spending cuts? Yeah, of course, I, we want to do more spending cuts. And these uh, cuts on the labor—they already all agreed to. We said we already gave it. We already gave it. And they don't seem to present the other side, which is, you know, hey, there is another way of balancing the budget. It's not just what you spend, but what you take in, and what you take in comes from taxes. And it takes a high school student to point out the obvious, and on Fox News of all places. Great, nicely done. Look, and it's not as simple as, "Hey, you know what? Always tax the rich, etc." We're nowhere near always taxing the rich. It's the exact opposite, where you just keep cutting taxes for the rich and cutting taxes for corporations, and to the point where it's hurting everybody. It's hurting the average guy. It's hurting the small businesses too, because the middle class doesn't have money to spend. That's why Jacob is right in this particular circumstance.
8: The battle raging in Wisconsin is one of the biggest stories in the country, of course. Not too surprisingly, there's no lack of voices in the corporate media supporting Governor Walker's attempts to, among other things, strip collective bargaining rights from public workers. The same cannot be said for union representatives and supporters of the workers' cause. In fact, it wasn't until after liberal blogs discussed the lack of labor voices on the Sunday morning chat shows that one of the four, NBC's Meet the Press, included one union leader in its lineup. Just as revealing was what happened when AFL-CIO Chief Richard Trumka appeared on the show. Trumka cut against the grain, arguing that Wisconsin workers were underpaid and that neither their wages nor their pensions had caused the state's budget crisis. He pointed out that the governor was moving the goalposts, increasing his demands after workers agreed to cutbacks in their health care and pension benefits. And he pointed out that the governor was delivering an unfair ultimatum to workers. As Trumpka paraphrased the deal, you either have to give up your rights or you have to give up your job. While the argument apparently sparked Meet the Press anchor David Gregory's corporate journalist survival instincts, as he responded with a right-wing talking point about unions raising money from members to fund political causes, asking Trumpka, quote, "...isn't this the cycle that we've gotten into that the public unions have to take some responsibility for?" Close quote. Of course, corporate officials are much bigger players in the game of funding political campaigns and causes but don't look for Gregory to put the same question the same way to a private sector CEO, even though he talks to so very many of them.
2: is not broke, contrary to what those in power would like you to believe, so that you'll give up your pension, cut your wages, and settle for the life your great grandparents had, America is not broke, not by a long shot, the country is awash in wealth and cash. It's just that it's not in your hands. It has been transferred in the greatest heist in history, from the workers and consumers to the banks and the portfolios of the uber rich. Right now, this afternoon, Just 400 Americans, 400, have more wealth than half of all Americans combined. Let me say that again. And please, someone in the mainstream media, just repeat this fact once. We'll be happy to hear it just once. 400 obscenely wealthy individuals, 400 little Mubaraks, most of whom benefited in some way from the multi trillion dollar taxpayer bailout of 2008, now have more cash, stock, and property than the assets of 155 million Americans combined! If you can't bring yourself to call that a financial coup d'etat, then you are simply not being honest with what you know in your heart to be true.
0: Dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself, so for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the Membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
7: I'm Matt Rothschild, the editor of The Progressive Magazine, with my progressive point of view, which you can also grab off our website over at progressive.org. I've been working on a tough story the past week. It's about a teacher in Wisconsin who apparently committed suicide in part because of the stress Governor Scott Walker has been placing on teachers. Her name was Jerry Lynn Betts. She was 56. She was an early childhood teacher in Watertown who dedicated her life to helping kids with special needs. She was so conscientious that the morning she died, she sent an email to the school to make sure someone would check on one of her students who had head lice. She'd suffered from depression for many, many years, but her friend said she had it under control until the last month. In fact, before then, they described her as bubbly. But when Scott Walker started his assault on public-sector workers and public education, it took a toll on Jerry Betts. Colleagues described her as very distraught. She was worried whether she'd had enough to retire on. She felt she was being forced out. She was concerned about cuts to the school district and the fate of her special ed program. Yes, she may have been psychologically fragile, but Scott Walker pushed her over the edge. He acts like he's just playing some political game, having fun roughhousing on the ideological playground, or carrying water for the Koch brothers. But in reality, he's messing with people's lives. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. On the radio,
11: talk shows, and the TV,
9: you hear one thing again and again how the USA stands for freedom and we come to the aid of a friend. But who are the ones that they call our friends? These
11: governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take any more And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there
9: are lives in the balance
10: wisconsin democrats are moving full speed ahead with the effort to recall the g-o-p state senators who took away collective bargaining rights from state workers today several progressive groups launched a new ad campaign urging recalls and the state democratic party says they're already have, have half of the signatures that they need to force recall elections and uh, they've got a month and a half left to finish the job. So it looks like they're in good shape on that front. Meanwhile, the state senators who are in jeopardy were in Washington, D.C., getting paid for a job well done at a fundraiser organized by corporate lobbyists. <laughs> they got no shame. Totally raising. Give me the money. Give me the money. I did what you wanted. Now, speaking of recalls, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder could be recalled as soon as July. And the Emergency Financial Manager Bill uh actually passed late yesterday in Michigan. Now, more than 5,000 people turned out in Lansing, Michigan yesterday to protest that bill. His budget would cut the state's business taxes by 86%. 86%. Meanwhile, he's getting rid of earned income tax credit for lower income families, slashing credits for seniors, and cutting $1.2 billion in funding to schools, universities, and local governments. So, he's making poor people, old people, and students pay for corporate tax cuts. That's not an exaggeration. You just saw the numbers. It's exact. And the insult on top of that injury is the bill he signed yesterday. A Republican described it as financial martial law. The bill gives the governor the power to declare a financial emergency in struggling cities and school districts. Then he can appoint an emergency financial manager to take it over. Congressman Kyers made the point that that sounds an awful lot like czars. So let's call them Snyder's czars. The czars have the power to void or break union contracts, of course, that's what they always do, seize and sell assets, eliminate local services, and even remove elected officials. So, Snyder's budget leaves local governments and school districts with a lot less money, and then if they go bankrupt under those circumstances, a state appointed official can come in and take them over. Republicans do a lot of complaining about unelected czars that have too much power and a supposed government takeover in Washington. Maybe they talk about it so much because they can't wait to do it themselves. And that's exactly what's happening in Michigan. With me now is John Nichols. He's the Washington correspondent for The Nation. John, first question for you: Whether it's Walker in Wisconsin or Snyder in Michigan, did they promise this in their elections? Did they say, "Hey, you know what? As soon as I come in, uh, seniors, I'm going to cut you. Yeah. Students, I'm going to
13: cut you, and I'm going to give it all to corporate tax cuts." You mean did they run and say, "Look, I want to be a monarch who appoints viceroy's"? No, I did not hear that. In fact, I covered both of those campaigns. And the weird thing is that both Walker in Wisconsin and Schneider in Michigan were the moderate Republican candidates in their primaries. They beat people who everybody thought were the draconian, you know, kind of way out there right wingers. So these were bait and switch campaigns. And now they are out to do Tremendous damage to communities. And I want to emphasize, you know, I like Congressman Conyers a lot and I like that czar term. I understand what he's trying to do, push back at at some of the Republicans. But this is much more than a czar. This really does go to the sort of thing that we fought a revolution against back in 1776. This is a monarch appointing a ruler, a viceroy, to take over local government.
10: I mean, the great irony of this is that the Tea Party people are talking about, oh, we got to take our government back and it's, you know, we gotta have real representation. And then this guy comes in and says, oh, whatever your local government. Whatever you voted for in your local government, I don't give a damn. I'm gonna.
13: It sounds like Putin, doesn't it? That's what Putin did in Russia with the local governors. Well, I think that's a little unfair to Putin. Uh, (laughs) The fact of the matter is that, as bad as he is, uh, you know, he 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 still wants to keep in the international community, have a little bit of regard. These guys are pushing much further. And understand, this is the United States of America. We set a higher standard for democracy than other countries. I hope. And the other thing that I think is really important to understand here is that when you're going in to local government, to school boards, town boards, town councils, village boards, city councils, you're taking power away from the representatives who are closest to the people who feel the greatest responsibility to deliver services and to make things right. This makes government more disconnected from those in need and also from the taxpayers themselves it is a a breaking point for democratic structures and this is something we ought to be fundamentally concerned about
10: you know i think they had a term for that back in the revolution it was taxation without representation so if you voted for local representatives and your governor takes them away from you Mm -hmm. what's happening there so but john let me ask you about the recalls because Look, these guys uh, they sold the voters a bill of goods, right? And they do the switcheroo and the switch and bait mm-hmm. and all that. So, are these recall efforts real? I mean, yes. do they do they have a real chance at recalling whether it's, you know, Snyder in uh, Michigan in July, or whether it's Walker, uh, you know, uh, a
13: year after the election is that is that a real possibility you think i think it's a real possibility the recall was created by the progressive movement at the start of the last century for precisely moments like this it's not uh, just to remove somebody if they commit a felony it's to remove someone who is doing damage to the state and also someone who is in violation of their oath to protect and defend the state and national constitutions So these are very legitimate efforts right in in wisconsin i think the recalls of the state senators will definitely move along and And frankly, I think there's simply no question at this point that both Walker and Schneider deserve a recall.
14: Let's talk about uh, Wisconsin, and I'm actually going to have. We've been having talk after talk about Wisconsin, and now that the now that we have had some at least level of resolution resolution in terms of the bill, in that the union components were separated from financial financial components, and therefore passed by a smaller group needing only a, a, a quorum of 20 to vote, and recall claims, threats, call them what you want, from those who disagree. Now, we said at the very beginning, you know I said it, Lewis. don't, I know you're going to tell me I didn't, but I did say it, this is about a widespread attack on unions, organized labor, and Democrats, and really the idea here is to defund Democrats by, by getting rid of unions. Mm-hmm. And Wisconsin was just the, uh, the catalyst. Wisconsin was just the beginning. Wisconsin, and really the, the catalyst happened earlier. And now we are seeing these bills pop up everywhere. And who's surprised about this? Re- who really is surprised? There's legislation in Maine, LD 788, sponsored by State Rep Tom Windsor. I don't have to tell you whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. You know it. I know it. Lewis knows it. It would make Maine like two other low wage, anti labor states by weakening unions. And, um, What's incredible is that the language in all of these bills, we're seeing New Hampshire anti-union bill HB 474, Missouri's anti-union bill SB 109, the language, Lewis, in all of these is almost identical. Well, what could that mean? What, what does it mean that the language is identical? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what strikes you? What's probably going on behind the scenes here? The same lawmakers are writing them. I wish it were lawmakers. Well... You know who's involved here. I used... yeah. Okay, not official lawmakers. Our friends, the unofficial lawmakers, the Koch brothers. And we're seeing that uh, David Koch's American for Prosperity group has really been beefing up its presence in Maine since the election of Governor Paul LePage, a Republican, far-right Tea Party favorite. Uh, Maine's Republican Speaker of the House hired Trevor Bragdon, who's the former director of the main Americans for Prosperity chapter. And Trevor Brothers' Taryn Bragdon is the executive director of the Maine Heritage Policy Center, a conservative state-based think tank with ties to several corporate donors, including Hu-Lewis, the Koch brothers. I barely... these stories, they do themselves in a way. Both Americans for Prosperity and the Maine Heritage Policy Center are clearly laying the groundwork for the same type of anti-labor effort as the Wisconsin one led by Scott Walker. And they are clearly going to take advantage of the momentum. Why Would you, would you not, Louis, if of you course. were them? It's, it's the opportune time. Expect Ohio to fall soon. And expect the top 1% of this country owns 43% of the wealth. Okay? The next 4% owns 29% of the wealth the bottom 80% share 7% of the financial wealth. And if you're asking me, well, why am I talking about that when we're talking about union legislation? If you don't know by now, ladies and gentlemen, I can't help you in an hour's show. It goes beyond me. David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out DavidPakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the David Pacman Show. All at davidpacman.com.
1: You know
3: the difference between the good and the evil in this world the caring and the selfish, the Mel Gibson circa lethal weapon and the Mel Gibson circa apocalypto? The difference is that bad people have plans. They always have a fucking plan. Good people don't have plans or missions or agendas. They just stumble through life thinking we'll all treat each other right if given the chance. Evil people have dry erase boards and PowerPoint presentations and iPad apps to keep track of just how the evil's coming along, whether it needs a course correction because this evil, this quarter's evil is 3.5% lower than last quarter's. Good people don't have power points good people have donuts and word jumbles For example, the billionaire Koch brothers funded a politician, Scott Walker, to become governor of Wisconsin. They knew that when he became governor, he would fake a budget crisis and he would act like it was the biggest budget crisis to ever hit the planet Earth. He would then pass a law that would destroy collective bargaining, the linchpin for unions. Hidden in that same law would be a provision that allows the Koch brothers to buy state-owned utilities for almost nothing, with no oversight. Both these things would make insane amounts of money for the Koch brothers, and on top of that, without union donations, very few Democrats would be able to get elected against the billions in corporate donations going to Republicans. With mostly Republicans winning elections, the Koch brothers would be able to purchase more and more of America. Now that's what I call a fucking plan. So that's what the evil people were thinking. During all this time, what were the non-evil people thinking? Man, do I like ravioli, especially in cream sauce. If I work an extra hour at the shop, I bet I could buy two cans of ravioli instead of just the uno. That's what they were thinking. Bad people have plans. We don't have plans. I don't have a plan. You don't have a plan. Your plan was I'm gonna watch internet videos. Meanwhile, Halliburton's plan was to cause a military coup in the sovereign country of Eritrea, a place neither you nor I ever knew existed. But they know, because they also have maps. They have dry erase boards and f***ing maps. I'm just saying the good people on this planet are never gonna get the upper hand until we get some f***ing office supplies up in here.
5: September of 2008, it was just, just before the presidential election of 2008, the nation was completely preoccupied in partisan political participation, right? And in being spectators to the election, spectators for that fall's big, dramatic, political contest. In terms of pure entertainment value, that billion dollars we spend on our elections now, we get our money's worth. But in September of 2008, just six weeks before the election, The Republican ticket unexpectedly suspended its campaign, remember? And we as a nation collectively stopped talking about politics. And why is that? It's because the big Wall Street firm, Lehman Brothers, went like this. That was September of 2008. Lehman Brothers. Collapsed. And then the proverbial dominoes started to fall. Powerhouse investment banking firm Merrill Lynch came face to face with extinction before it was saved at the last minute by Bank of America. Insurance giant AIG continued its teeter on the brink of bankruptcy. The US stock market took a historic nosedive. The Dow Jones Industrial Average plummeting like a rock falling through water. At one point losing 777 points in one day, its biggest point loss ever. Wall Street melted down. It melted down because a relatively small number of people who controlled a great deal of money did very irresponsible things with that money. Irresponsible things that they were allowed to get away with because so many of the rules had been taken away. Rules that were originally put in place to prevent Wall Street from creating a massive public risk uh, in order to chase private gain. Those rules were taken away. Lehman Brothers disappeared, Bear Stearns disappeared, Merrill Lynch disappeared, investment banking essentially disappeared in America as an industry. The US government, still under the leadership of George W. Bush at the time, then stepped in to take a dramatic action to try to save the economy. This was not a partisan thing. Uh, It was done under George W. Bush, but John McCain and Barack Obama both supported it. Sarah Palin even supported it. John Boehner not only supported it, he cried on the floor of the House of Representatives as he implored his fellow Republicans to support it. I am not making fun of him, it's true, he cried. The government acted to save what could be saved of Wall Street, but the damage was really done to the national economy. That financial catastrophe caused the Great Recession. Again, Lehman Brothers collapsed September of 2008. Look look at what happened to jobs thereafter. I believe that the government stepping in to stop the catastrophe probably prevented this from becoming a Great Depression rather than a Great Recession. That is what I believe. I recognize it is totally arguable and I'm happy to have that argument. But regardless, we did um, get a Great Recession out of the financial system collapse unemployment numbers became unsustainably horrific. Even as jobs have started to come back, even as the economy has returned to positive growth, the un- unemployment rate is still atrocious. The Great Recession and high unemployment have meant not just human misery, but continued bad economic consequences. People not making an income are not paying income taxes. People who are not buying things are not paying sales taxes. Strain on tax revenues that fund local services is coupled with a strain on local services providing to a population that is now more needy because it's in much worse economic shape. State budget deficits around the country are bad, and they are bad because of the Great Recession, which remember, started at a specific time. The fall of 2008, and it started for a specific reason. It happened because of Wall Street. But you know, for all of the pain that Wall Street caused this country with the financial catastrophe, for all of the pain we are still in because of what they did, Wall Street right now is doing awesome. They not only did not go away, they're not only back, but they are back and bigger than ever. I mean, A, nobody went to jail, but B, they are getting paid. supposed to be my confetti gun. It's very sad. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's sort of what it's been like, actually, in terms of the payoff. Yeah, that's it. Last year, Wall Street pay, including bonuses, hit a record high. The record they broke in 2010 was the record they set the year before, in 2009. The whole idea of re-regulating Wall Street, re-establishing the old rules so they can't do this again, that is still a great idea, but what passed ultimately got dramatically watered down, thanks to senators like Scott Brown of Massachusetts. During a three week period that Wall Street reform was being debated in Congress last year, Scott Brown took in $140,000 from banks and investment firms. He then made good on their investment by dismantling key provisions in the Wall Street reform bill. Forbes magazine took to calling him the Scott Brown speed bump, but what ultimately survived in the Wall Street reform bill, the Don't Let the Financial Catastrophe Happen Again bill, the implementation of the new regulations has been in part, large part, defunded in the House Republicans' budget bill. So yeah, Wall Street totally destroyed our world, we are all still living in the rubble, but Wall Street's world has never been better or richer. So if you're a a Wall Street titan of finance guy, it has been an awesome few years for you. Whee! Since you almost destroyed the world. If you are not a Wall Street titan of finance guy though, this has been a tough few years and it is about to get a lot tougher. There is not much of an American middle class left in economic terms. Over the last decade or so, the top 1% have seen their income gains skyrocket while everybody else has remained pretty much flat. We've had economic growth in this country, there's been money made, it's just not being made by anybody who's not already rich. And the institution that more than any other made it possible for America to have a middle class in the first place, That institution is under attack like it hasn't been since the days of armed Pinkertons shooting at strikers. It appears to us right now that 17 states have in some form or another legislative attacks on union rights on their agenda. From Idaho where the legislature voted yesterday to strip union rights from public school teachers to Michigan where the state senate today passed a bill that would let the governor declare a financial emergency anywhere in the state and let his administration appoint someone to unilaterally nullify unions, nullify contracts, Nullify a town government entirely if they want to. In Idaho and in Michigan and in New Hampshire and Hawaii and Montana and Alaska and West Virginia and on and on and on, Republicans are pushing these union-stripping bills. Why are they doing this all at once? Did they plan this? They coordinate this at one of those Republican conferences? They're pushing to strip union rights, not just to get concessions on pay and benefits. Union rights themselves don't have any fiscal impact at all, but yet they're all pursuing it all at once, in all these different parts of the country. Is it just a coincidence that they all just have the same bad, fiscally irrelevant idea at the same time that they all wanted to try to get away with under the guise of budget crises? What we do know, what's turning out to be the great surprise story of 2011, is that what the Republicans are doing has engendered a giant and previously unimaginable pushback. In Wisconsin, the pushback was so sustained and so strong that this union-stripping fight has stretched out to 23 days and each day, frankly, continues to be more dramatic than the last. In Michigan, the protests against the union-stripping town government nullification bill, Provoked what were reportedly the largest protests ever at the Michigan State Capitol. In Indiana, potentially 20,000 people are expected to protest union stripping there tomorrow. It's Indiana Democrats in the state assembly who are out uh, out of state in exile. There, Indianapolis Star columnist Matthew Tully traveled out to the roadside hotel where Indiana's assembly Democrats have set up temporary shop. The way those Democrats described this fight is a real window into how important this pushback is for the country. How important this is for the future of the Democratic Party. Representative Mary Ann Sullivan of Indianapolis saying, quote, The whole experience, I don't know how to explain it. It's been very powerful. Representative Scott Pilath of Michigan City saying, quote, They've tapped into the things that bring us together. This is about our core principles. Representative Bill Crawford of Indianapolis saying, quote, It has the appearance of a movement as opposed to a typical political battle. It is a movement. That's why none of these protests are one-day things. That's why national Democrats are going to have to get their head around this sooner rather than later. The dragon that's been awakened here is the Democratic Party's base, which the Democratic Party has been ignoring for a really long time. But the whole reason the Democratic Party exists is because it is supposed to stand up for people who have to work for a living. And when people who have to work for a living are directly attacked, like they're being attacked right now by all of these Republican measures around all of these states around the country. I mean, people knew they were down, but now they're being kicked when they're down. When people get attacked like that, they fight back. And they are expecting the Democratic Party to stand with them. They are demanding that Democrats stand with them. They are cheering Democrats on as heroes when Democrats do rise to the occasion. See Wisconsin. The Democratic Party has a base and a reason for being, and that's why what has happened in Madison has been so riveting. You know, and Indianapolis, and Boise, and Lansing, and Columbus, and everywhere else this is happening. But there is another side to this fight. Republicans, of course, didn't run saying they were gonna do this stuff. Remember when Scott Walker in Wisconsin kept trying to convince everybody that he campaigned on stripping collective bargaining rights so nobody should be surprised about it? He in fact never said that in his campaign, that he was going to strip union rights in the way that he has. And there's a reason he didn't say it in the campaign. It is a tremendously unpopular idea. A Bloomberg news poll out today reveals massive support for public employees and for their right to collectively bargain. Look at this, 72% of Americans have a favorable opinion of public employees, 72%. 64% think they should have the right to collectively bargain for their wages. This is what Naomi Klein, author of The Shock Doctrine, was talking about in this show last night. The stuff they are doing to attack people's pensions and their union rights, take as many resources as they can, can, as many resources as they control, away from people who work for a living and give it away to businesses, this is not popular stuff. These are not popular proposals. For each of the following types of work, for each of the following types of work, please tell me if you think a union is or is not appropriate. Firefighters, yes, 72%. Police officers, yes, 70%. Nurses, yes, 62%. Prison guards, yes, 63%. Teachers, teachers. Teachers, yes, 66%. That's what Americans think about this fight. Taking away unions from these people by force is a very, very unpopular idea. So how do you get away with it anyway if it's so unpopular? Frankly, you need some political cover. Will somebody please call the billionaires? 70% of the country may be against you on this, you guys, but you only need a couple of billionaires to balance that out in terms of PR, right? Karl Rove runs a group called American Crossroads. Other than becoming a Fox News celebrity, this is what he has done with his life since he left the White House. Most of the funding he gets for Crossroads comes from a very small group of billionaires. His Crossroads group also has a group called Crossroads GPS, which Mr. Rove is very proud to announce does not have to tell you who gives them their money. I have a guess. It is the undisclosed donors part of the Karl Rove Billionaires Club, which is now spending kazillions of dollars to run ads that try to provide some political cover for those Republicans in Wisconsin, some political cover for this really unpopular thing that all of these Republicans are doing. The ad says ominously that unionized government workers get paid 42% more than non-unionized workers. That appears to be totally made up, but it has the advantage of making it sound like the real rich people sucking all dry are those public school teachers. Snowplow driver dude, he's drinking your milkshake. This is an expensive ad. They obviously spent a lot of money focus grouping all of the slogans and the mean looking pictures of Obama. I get how they work. But there is one really awkward thing about this ad though. The big money shot in this ad, forgive me, but that's what it is, uh, what they freeze on at the end of the ad, the part you're really supposed to remember, look at what the slogan is. You've had enough. You've had enough? Aren't these things supposed to say we've had enough? Generally these things are like, let's stand up against the man, we're all in this together, we've had enough. But you know, if you are the undisclosed donors part of Karl Rove's Billionaires Club, you can't really say we've had enough because nobody knows who you are. Literally, the we behind this ad is undisclosed. It is a cruel joke that they call themselves GPS when we explicitly are not allowed to know the global positioning of the people who are giving them their money. It is a small anonymous we here, a small anonymous apparently very wealthy we on one side and it is America on the other who wins.
4: Wow. Hi, Jay. This is Lara Collins from. Um, I live outside of Philadelphia in an area they call the Main Line. I've been actually meaning to call into the show for a while to actually commend you on the fact that you use Mumia Abu Jamal's commentaries from Death Row. Um, he's a very controversial figure, and um, whether or not you believe in his innocence or his guilt, I think is completely beside the point. Uh, he's a very uh, intelligent, articulate man that has a lot of uh, interesting views to give us, uh, to comment on um, society. And uh, I just finished listening to the show where the police officer from Florida called in and, uh, I mean, my, my heart is just pounding and racing. Uh, I, I think that he... Um, doesn't have all of the facts, for one. He did not find Islam in prison. He did not change his name then. Um, he had the name Mumia Abu-Jamal for a while, uh, long before 1981, when the uh death of uh, Officer Faulkner happened. I think it's great that you play him. And um, I think that people, if they're curious about him, should do their own research to make their judgment call. But, I mean, honestly, I believe he has something to say. And um, why not... uh why not play that I personally don't believe in his uh, in his guilt I, I recommend a, a great documentary that people can watch that gives a very interesting perspective is called um, In Prison My Whole Life it's uh, a man who was actually born on the day that the shooting happened he he was now been 25 years old this is a couple of years ago just presents uh, movie, a movie in story in a very interesting way but um I just uh I'm glad you play him, and I think it takes a lot of guts for you to play him. I do live outside of Philadelphia, and, and whenever a police officer goes down, it's always a huge big deal, for better or for worse. I, I don't know. I always kind of view the police as more of a, a tool of oppression than people that are really there to help. So, um, I don't know. Again, thank you for playing, Mia. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.
15: Hi Jay, this is Carl Feldman in Cincinnati, Ohio. Just thought I'd give you a call and add one more vote to Mumia Abdul-Jabbar. I, I, I think too many times we, uh, we listen to people because they say things that we like to hear regardless of who they are. And I don't believe that a, a person convicted of killing a police officer should be given a forum. Call me closed-minded, it's, uh, just the way I feel. Thanks.
9: Great show. Bye. Hello, Jays. Daryl calling from rainy California. I wanted to chime in about the uh, Abu Jamal. Uh, it's not a controversy, but, you know, uh, the couple of calls that have been, you know, people upset that you use his you know, poignant points I think every recording that you've used of his On your show Has been spot on And actually has, is you know Illuminated the, the uh, topic You know, to, to an extent That many of the other ones haven't The guy says things Understand he's in prison He will be in prison For the rest of his life uh, I don't know that that discounts The uh, content of what it is he's saying So... The fact that someone doesn't doesn't like, you know, the fact he's in prison. How I, I don't like the fact he's in prison either. But uh, a profound point is is what it is. So anyone who uh, tries to convince you to to seek guidance from some other sources or whatever, you know, I take it with a, with a grain of salt. I, you have done a, an exceptional job, and it should be commended that you have done it the way you have appreciate the, the uh, opportunity to speak. Thank you. And I'll enjoy future uh, episodes. Bye.
15: Hi, Jay. This is Jim in Dubai. A couple of comments on the question of whether we should discount uh, someone's opinion because of who they are or what they've done in the past. Uh, I think you have to take into consideration someone's perspective, as you said, and recognize that Uh, Their opinions may be colored by that. At the same time, someone who presents a reasoned, well-thought-out opinion based on observations and facts is worth listening to. And I also would add that uh, discounting someone's opinion because they're a murderer is one thing. I would also point that this particular commentator apparently is uh, a believer in God and religion, and that's also something that should be considered. So certainly I would discount anything he had to say about uh, the evolution of the world and uh, uh, morality of mankind, but certainly like to hear what he has to say on other things. The other point I would make is, uh, is this person's particular crime uh, more heinous because he killed a police officer we as a society uh put guns into the hands of soldiers who commit acts of no less brutality and certainly uh no less deadly every day and we see them as heroes uh and i think we as a society need to think about that as weather as uh, as well anyway appreciate the show
16: and keep it up Hey Jay, it's Jeff, the policeman from Florida again. Appreciate you at least having the discussion about the convicted murder of policeman uh, Wesley Cook. Obviously, we don't see this the same way, um, but I also was like you. Know, I actually used your two-step process for being right uh, before I even knew about it. I uh, was conservative before and after the Iraq War. I realized, hey, eh, you know, I was lied to, and trying to change my opinion. So therefore, I was still right. With that in mind, I look at the defense of a cop killer the same way. I think that is to the progressive movement what abortion clinic protesters are to the conservative movement. In that they both sour moderates from both sides. If you're a moderate looking at whatever your opinion might be of one or the other, whichever one offends you the most, you're probably going to go the other way. So with that said, I appreciate you at least talking about it. And uh, I guess I'll just have to find my liberal podcast on my own. Uh, iTunes is a great aggregator. Take care, man.
11: Hey, Jay, this is Pamela from Virginia. I was calling in regards to the Lumia Abdul-Jamal. can't quite remember his name. But anyway, um, I think the biggest thing that I have with the right is that they generally try to get people to stop thinking and just emote. And with that said, if we do that, we are no better than them. And regardless of where this person is in his life or what he's done, the messenger shouldn't really dictate how we receive the message. So, um... I guess that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I think when you get people to stop thinking for themselves and just deal with real-life issues on an emotional level, we end up with what we have now in America who deals with things emotionally. So I think if we can just step back from that and think logically, we may be able to actually solve some problems. So anyway, thanks. Love the show. Um, Keep on doing what you're doing and, you know, whatever to the haters. So bye. Bye.
17: KJ, it's Linda from Southern California. Um, Regarding your your Mamiya caller, first, I'm thrilled to hear that liberal policemen exist, and uh, and that at least one of them is listening to your show. And I do greatly sympathize with his plight. His fellow officers die every day in the line of duty. Um, When you first started including the Mamiya podcasts, I researched. his background and found that there is a significant debate of over whether he was falsely convicted in the murder of the policeman. Um, the eyewitness accounts differ. there were some defense witnesses, uh, that refused to testify. And, and in a country where, um, an estimated 10,000 people are wrongly convicted every year and where policemen, uh, not good, decent policemen like your caller, but, um, Some policemen have been found to frame innocent people. So at this point, I don't think anyone can say for sure whether Mumia is in fact a cop killer or whether he's an innocent man that uh, has lost half his life to imprisonment. So I sincerely hope the right man is in prison, but I do think there's a significant debate uh, as to whether that's the case. So your call, whether you want to keep including Mumia, um, he is convicted after all. Um, Interested to hear what other callers have to say. Thanks, Jay. Love your show. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. What you just heard was obviously, uh, you know, more voicemails than I usually play. Those were uh, just about every voicemail I got on the subject, and so I just want to kind of get them all out of the way. And, uh, you know, play them all in one place so you could hear uh, what people had to say. And, you know, I don't really feel the need to comment any further than I already have. So I'm just going to thank a couple of members before I go. Uh, Kim B signed up for a socialist membership back on January 12th and uh, signed up for a full year in advance. So huge thanks to Kim for doing that. And also Ryan S signed up for a leftist monthly membership, uh, starting back on June 8th and has stuck with the show since then. And it just so happens that Ryan S is one of the uh, volunteer web developers who responded to my call to action, uh, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago about uh, putting together, you know, the challenge for for people out there to put together. A uh, a payment hub, basically, so that you know listeners and supporters of shows like mine and all the other independent progressive uh, media that's out there available that you can donate to on a one-time or a recurring basis. Uh, that you go to one place, set up one payment, and support all the shows that you choose to support. So I, I just wanted to reiterate that I you know we definitely did get a good uh, handful of people interested in uh, taking on that. Issue. If you are interested, please let me know. I will put you in contact with the group as the discussions are uh, getting started. And then also, that group has asked for me to put out a call for uh, accountants and lawyers who think that they could be of service just to uh, kind of give advice on what sort of steps need to be made. in in an endeavor like this handling money the possibility of dealing with taxes all those sorts of things that I certainly uh, don't know about and a lot of these guys don't know about either and so they're asking for help if you think you have like some advice some insights uh, and you just want to offer up uh, that um, service to them uh, then let me know I'll put you in touch and hopefully we can get that project thoroughly underway very soon so that'll be that'll be very cool So that's going to do it for today. So stay tuned into the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter. Get details about the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode. All of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 11 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com
4: now black and white Cause you took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room The shadow bases the floor. will take you out
2: It's just a fun farewell
8: to a friend I couldn't get things right